in the morning, gotta be fresh, gotta go downstairs, gotta have my bowl, gotta have cereal, seeing everything, the time is going, ticking on and on, everybody's rushing, gotta get down to the bus stop, gotta catch my bus, I see my friends, kicking in the front seat, sitting in the back seat, gotta make my mind up, Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, it's Friday. Yes, Friday. We're happy to be here, and we've had fun with our Facebook Live group. So thank you all for listening. And um, we uh, have a couple of announcements. One, well, this coming Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. A week from yesterday, we have Dr. Matt Milner, who's going to be in studio, in the bunker. Yeah. He just, uh, just was, he's going to be lecturing at the Princeton Institute for Youth Ministry, and... He just has a, he has an essay in one of the Wheaton Theology Conference uh, collection of essays every year. It's on sacraments and community, and he has some stuff on art and sacraments. Yeah, he's a he's a fine theological mind, but a, a really up and coming art history scholar. Yeah, he's infield outfield. He's a Utah. I mean, he can really. Yeah, he is he, good. He, he's he's got a lot. Of, he's got a wide skill set. And those Wheaton co- uh, theology conferences are quite good. I mean, the books that come out of those are... Yeah, they have really great people. Yeah, they bring in, you know, good people. Speaking of Wheaton, I saw that there was, uh, I don't remember where I read this, but there was a, by invitation only, gathering of evangelicals at Wheaton uh, to kind of talk about the direction of of where evangelicalism is going. Um, Did you get an invite? I did not. Yeah, but um, was Franklin Franklin no, Graham in no, attendance? No, that, that group was not. <laughs> no Falwells or Graham there. So uh, I think there. Uh, uh, your Tim Keller. Your your Keller was there. Tim Keller was. I think seemed to be one of the leaders of it, and uh, I can't remember who all was there. But it's kind of a hopeful. Uh, one of the editors of Christianity Today, kind of a president of. Uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, who I know. How do I know? Uh, Mark Lamberton? How do I know Mark? He's a Princeton guy. Yeah, but he was, I guess I used to be part of a pastor's group. Group with him. Yeah. Yeah, good preacher, smart guy. Yeah. He was, was he young? No, I guess. He was at Wayne first, very brief period of time. Oh, yeah, right. I remember that. So, yeah, no, he, he, yeah. So it was. John Galloway credits him with, he said, you know, that guy taught, reconnected Wayne to loving Jesus personally and sort of set, he was not, wasn't there long, but set the groundwork for me to come. a year. Yeah. Even a year. He yeah. said it was a real fruitful, sort of tilling the ground for Galloway. Yeah. I think it was, I don't think it was Young Life. I think it was through um, the Young Pastors group. I was part of when I was a young pastor. When it, you're now not a young pastor. <laughs> no, I'm not a young. Not, not young. Yeah, particularly Heidi. If you're listening, Heidi has a way, uh, we have a colleague who we think the world of, and but Heidi has a way of saying something, you know, periodically saying, "Well, older white men or white pastors and older white pastors," and then she looks at me like, "That's you, that's me." And I said, "You know, you don't have to keep saying it that way. Yeah, you don't have to make it." Sometimes like, she says, "Well, you're not like most older white men, men. pastors." I, like, I, like that's, that. I guess that's a compliment. It is. I think all that's right. A, that's all right. right. So just be be gentle with me. be gentle with your us elderly, the elderly. Heidi. So. 
Uh, yeah, we are, we are going to do a three part series. Did we tie, we announced on the Facebook? I don't think we, we did. I don't think we announced here, but we're doing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we are doing a three part series on Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Maybe we did say it. I think maybe I did say it. I don't know. I forget. But it, yeah. that's what we're doing. Well, here it is. For as, an, as an older white man, the short term <laughs> exactly. memory that you're having troubles with over there. So uh, yeah, I th- so this is an interesting way. Think about Jesus. This is a kind of traditional uh, the tri. Muniplex, oh, I forget what the Latin is, but the tri. So basically, the threefold office of Christ, which right. there is, I mean, I guess probably the person who spent the most time with this uh, in history was Calvin. Not yes. that it wasn't dealt with no. other places. But it's a very important trope for Calvin's theology. It was, trope would not be the right word. Yeah, it was, a, he really. It's a framework. Yeah, it's an important framework and really. Biblical theology. I mean, I think it's in Aquinas, it's other places, but it, Calvin really revives this and uses it. Yeah, and then it gets reproduced in other Reformed yeah. thinkers, including Karl Barth. And, yep, including Barth. And, yeah, and I, you know, one of the things I think uh, you and I were talking in our prep for this uh, for this series. Our inspired prep, which was, I think, <laughs> this morning. Yeah, Um you know, one of the things we I, had no topic last evening. No, we, had no topic. we had no topic. You, I don't know. Did you wake up with it, or it was the last? I, 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 I something about me in the morning. I just felt no. I felt like this is this is it. Well, the idea that you know, this one thing that um, you know, we just don't want to talk it from a biblical theological perspective. It's something that even people who are not Christians, uh, most people will grant Jesus the kind of prophetic a prophetic status and. Uh, and certainly he takes that role frequently in the gospel. I mean, Mark's gospel, which most likely is the earliest one written. I mean, his open pronouncement, you know, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, it's very prophetic. And the opening, um, his opening ministry in Luke's gospel, where he quotes the, um, you know, Isaiah, the Isaiah of, of or the Isaiah of the exile, uh, second Isaiah. He quotes this idea of, in a prophetic way, um, I've often wondered, I've done a lot of, there was a period of time where I've done a lot of work on Jeremiah and taught a grad class on You used Jeremiah. to have some nice commentaries on the prophets, too. Ezekiel, <laughs> Jeremiah, like in the Hermeneus series and stuff. Real high end. Yeah. They walked away, though. It'd be nice if they walked back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. All right. But, um, at any rate, um, and I, I don't know if Jesus, you know, we, don't, we don't know what Jesus meditated on himself. Of course, we can't know that, but... I, I have to sometimes even wonder if the if the gospel writers are inspired by the life of Jeremiah. There's frequently when I'm reading the gospel, I'm I'm just frequently reminded of Jeremiah and his you know his in many ways the call that he had to sacrifice himself for his people. I mean, and the fact that his prophetic ministry for it to be right ended up in in destruction, and instead of the destruction of of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, Jesus gets destroyed in Jerusalem. So, um, you know, I think this idea of his role of prophet, uh, certainly the woe unto yous in Matthew are are prophetic in their nature. And, um, you know, as we talked about Mark, we talked about Luke and, and Matthew's gospel, he is, you know, portrayed as the new Moses. And though we often don't think of Moses as a prophet, that's certainly how he's understood in the rabbinical times, and it's how he's understood, you know, during the Second Temple period as well. So Jesus takes on these personas. They, you know, they when they ask, "Who do you say that I am?" You know, the first one they guess is, you know, either Elijah or John the Baptist reincarnated. So all of those 
images are very prevalent and 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 you know the references to the prophets that come through in his teaching they're um they're everywhere there yeah you know it's interesting because it, 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 paul tilk i think this is an encouraged to be but says that there are three root anxieties in human existence we talked about this before one is mm-hmm. non-being right. uh, or it, death so he thinks that in in the early church, this is what drives the train, and so you don't get much theology of the cross, uh, or or much on Galilee. You get a lot on the empty on the empty tomb and and the virgin birth, because these are the bookends of sort of Christ sanctifying human nature, you know, gi- giving it the possibility of uh, of eternity, you right. know, in, in, in a frail, physical, you know, fleeting world. And then he thinks the second one is around morality or measuring up kind of, you know, yeah. and, and this is, he thinks, in the medieval period, this anxiety comes more to the foreground. You have the Roman legal background. I, yeah, I would even say earlier. Than yeah, like medieval. late antiquity, yeah, right? Yeah. Kermit Augustine. On, you t- so then you start to get more theology of the cross. You know, Anselm, Aquinas, the ref- the reformers. Mm-hmm. And he says the third one is meaninglessness, like nihilism, just does like And he thinks there is the modern period. And he thinks, I c- you know, you have sort of, you could correspond the kingly office, right? Christus Victor. Mm-hmm. The priestly office for the medieval time comes so far. And, and maybe the prophet comes to the foreground in, in modernity. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought. I mean, on the way over, I was listening to uh, Larry Norman, for those of you who don't know. Larry Norman was the uh, kind of father of Christian rock. And he, interesting guy, very tra- a troubling guy in many ways, but a troubled guy. Uh, he's passed. I think he has died, Larry Norman, I believe. But there was a great song he called, um, it was called The Outlaw. And each verse talks about a different, what they said Jesus was. Some said he was an outlaw. Some said he was a magician, a poet, a politician. And I think it's 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 you know this this prophetic role uh, does um, come back at certain critical times. I think the upheavals of the 20th century, the century of revolution, the century of independence, uh, the century where liberation is a very important uh, theme. I think the the prophetic Jesus is one who who does has you know come to speak um, a word to a troubled time. I mean, I think. Uh, in a breakdown of a lot of things, uh, in the need to break down a lot of things, um, you know, Jesus' prophet is a very important one. It does seem to me <clears throat> that that was a more prevalent theme in the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that Jesus' prophet has as much... <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the status of that is right now, in our, in the, at least in this country, in the current thing. Yeah, and I want to say something that, like, I think... Well, before I say this, I just I'll re- I'll point out something. I'll try to maybe find this chart or something and put it in the show notes. But this is a book from a book called King, Priest, and Prophet: uh, Trinitarian Theology of Atonement by Robert Sherman, which is fantastic. His first book was on, I think it was his dissertation on Schleiermacher and Bart as modern theologians looking at how they deal with creation mm-hmm. Christologically versus sort of historically. Right. It's just a fantastic uh, dissertation. And in this one, he has this chart where he kind of he lays out his framework for the atonement, and he thinks that we have, you know, the 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 person of the Trinity, Father, the Messianic office is King, right? So here you have primarily the Father in the foreground, and this is, you know, in the New Testament, the Lord, King, Shepherd, Exorcist, and Healer. Uh, the kind of atonement theory is Christus Victor, the victory right. over the powers and death. 
And you have, in the New Testament, the problem here is that we're held captive by unjust principalities and powers. Then he goes to Son, where, which is the Messianic office. He comes to the foreground and is priest, you know, high priest, Lamb of God, the New Testament titles. And the, the atonement theory is kind of vicarious sacrifice here. And our problem is not giving God his due, corrupting creation, human sinfulness. And the third is spirit, where prophet comes to the foreground. Prophet, teacher is the, is the biblical kind of image title. And then the atonement theory is empowering exemplar or revealer. And it, our problem is ignorance, weakness, and being lost. Right. And so I think, you know, of course, all the Trinity, it's, this is Augustine's rule, right? The works of, of the Trinity add extra outside of God are indivisible. So, right. of course, the, all the trip persons are always yeah. in, in, and in working. And Cappadocians taught that. Right. Uh, but, but I think that is an interesting way to think about things. Well, then, you know, we, yeah, and I had not mentioned John's gospel, but in many ways, you know, the fulfillment of Joel, you know, where we're all, you know, the giving of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the most important prophetic thing Jesus does is give the gift of the Holy Spirit where we all become, you know, the sons and daughters of prophets. Yeah. Right. And I think like when we use the term prophetic, sometimes we just reduce that to like talking about social justice or, and really the prophetic kind of office of Jesus is revealing a new creation, a new way of being human. And you, you think of for Paul, Jesus' biggest prophetic teaching is the cross, right? You know, the wisdom of God. Right, the right. You know, we've pursued, we've, we, we, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, <laughs> 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I love yeah. Corinthians, I love Corinthian leather, I like the book, <laughs> New Testament guy. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Michael Butera, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Andrew Stravitz, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabadian, and Jennifer Underwood. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. You look at 2 Corinthians 5, you have this sense in which we no longer regard anyone from a human point of view as we once regarded Christ. Right, yeah. And this, and this so, the, so the, the teaching is is 
you know, is bound up with the person. And he, and he announces the kingdom, and he is the kingdom. Right, yeah, the gospel. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and, and you know, believe the good news. He is the good news. The yeah. I think that, you know, that's, that's absolutely right. We One of our conversations before we started this was, in many ways, the prophet-rabbi converge in Jesus. It's, you know, the, the prophets were... Many things they were teaching. They were and not so much foretellers as foretellers. Yes, yes. And but you know we also you know Jesus is in the context of the apocalyptic movements of the Second Temple period. So it was you know um, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we all when we hear all oh, the kingdom of God is at hand, oh that's good. No, <laughs> the kingdom but, of God his hand is you know you better get you better get ready. Yeah. And we've mentioned this before, but I you know I think the first time I ever yeah this the first time I read this was in Paul's Zoll's book the, the the first Christian, which is sort of a, I think a popularizing of his dissertation on um, case Simon, I think. But he says you know this when I read this I was like why didn't I always thought that I mean this is he says you know John the Baptist came preaching like most apocalyptic second century figures first or, or, or second temple Judaism first century yeah. rather. You know, the, the kingdom of God is not yet, but soon. Mm-hmm. And Jesus changed it to already not yet, which is a, a, a reframing. Well, because he is the kingdom. Yeah. And, and, so, so and, John's, not there's and not John a, the Baptist points to him, too, in, in right. John's gospel. Yeah. No. But, but then it's interesting because John can't get it. You know, I love that verse, blesses he who doesn't take offense at me. Yeah. Right. But John is still in the not yet, but soon framework. But yeah. And the already not yet. Well, so is, and in Mark's gospel, so is Jesus' family. Yeah, and every, yeah. actually, everybody is. Yeah, right. Yeah, she is. It's, a, it's a unique thinker, so to speak. Well, and I do think there's a sense where the ministry, the earthly ministry, of Jesus is this kind of transitional period, you know. And um, but I, I, I think what's what's you know interesting too, in in terms of this prophetic role, was you know again um, Daniel, Doctor Daniel Hartman, who's now president of Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem, says you know. Jesus was attacking Second Temple Judaism in ways that later the the rabbis mm-hmm. do the same way, yeah, and yeah. so there's a sense where, I mean, we can go back and forth. I mean, the, I don't want to get into the you know uh, new Paul, old Paul, or new Jesus, old Jesus, whatever Jesus we're talking about. But there's a sense where I like I like uh, my Jesus in the tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> I like my Jesus. Just, he likes it's, he gives him an air of formality, but it shows he likes to party. <laughs> <laughs> I want my Jesus to be the lead singer, Leonard Skinner. Exactly. <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus, celestial diapers. <laughs> but um, this idea that really Jesus was being a good Jew and he was calling him back, as in the spirit of the prophets of old, you know, the prophets of old are calling people back to what the initial vision was, so even whether or not the vision ever actually existed. So, I mean, Jesus, Jesus... Many in many ways um, is both a con, you know in continuity with the office of prophet, particularly in the apocalyptic period of Second Temple. But he also, you know, he does he is there is something new going on there, and um, and I think that that's that's part of the power of even without our positions of faith, but just what the fact that even people who don't believe in creedal Christianity, uh, very few people. Um, Want to say that? Gosh, Jesus didn't have anything good to say. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's gr- why, on some levels, Nietzsche at least had more integrity than most people who don't believe in Jesus because he said, "Now nah, he's dangerous. He should have had some." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Nietzsche and many things is is one of the most interesting people yeah. about anything. 
So in this book by Sherman, King, Priest, Prophet, he he quotes Louis Pogeman's um, summary of Kierkegaard's distinction between the Socratic way and the Christian way. And he's saying, like, it's in a section in the prophetic office of Jesus where he's actually discussing the failure of the great teacher Christologies, both both in the church and outside the church, the Thomas Jeffersons. the kind right, of, right. And so he says that, you know, in the Socratic way, truth is within man and man is open to truth. In the, the Christian way, or Christ the prophet, the truth is not within man. Rather, man is an error and close to the truth. The second point, in the Socratic way, the teacher is incidental to the process of discovering truth. And for as Christ the teacher, the prophet, the teacher is necessary to the process of discovering the truth. He must bring it out from without and create the condition for receiving it in man. And for, third, in the Socratic way, the moment of discovery of the truth is accidental. The opportunity is always available. We must merely use our innate ability to recover it. This is sort of the Mino right. dialogue, Plato's dialogue. And in the Christian way, Christ is prophet, the moment is decisive for discovering the truth. Yeah. The eternal truth, the eternal must break into time at a, def- at a definite point, the fullness of time, and the believer must receive the condition in a moment of contemporaneity with the teacher. Yeah, as you were reading that, I, just, I was reminded of it would be interesting to compare aspects of, the, of Plato's dialogues with, with, some, with Jesus' extended dialogues in John. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do this assignment when I did yeah. at Karen. I would have them, we, read, we would read in the philosophy, we would read the, the last days of the death of Socrates. Mm-hmm. And I asked them to compare it to the death of Jesus. Like, what Socrates look like? At his death, and what's Jesus look like? Although I would say there are some. I, I read an article once that Luke, Luke's portrayal of the Passion. There's some interesting parallels to the death of Socrates. And, yeah, you know, but I think you know, for instance, I, when you were reading that, with the, you know, the scene that came to my mind is poor Nicodemus coming to Jesus. You know, it's funny. The third chapter of John is kind of you know we 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 you know, we almost think John three sixteen and the power of John three sixteen and we should add seventeen with it when you say three sixteen. Yeah, I always say let's hold up that like that Jesus didn't come to condemn. Like, yeah, yeah, but we we drop that out. Yeah, you know, we don't hold that up at the baseball game. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see Frank, J- Franklin Graham hold that up. We should hold John three seventeen. Jesus yeah. came not to condemn, <laughs> but Franklin Graham did come to condemn. <laughs> but what's fascinating to me. Is poor Nicodemus seems to be an honest seeker. Yes, and yeah. Jesus just ties the poor guy into knots. Now the one dialogue, and, and I think the dialogue with the uh, man born blind in John's interesting. Uh, to me, the maybe the closest to the Socratic, but not even. It, it would be the the interaction with the woman at the well. Yeah, because he plays off of her. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a very, in some levels, but even still, it's that contrast. It's, it's still it's, different. The, the, though. the definitive thing, like. This idea, like in the media, that, that, you know, the eternal truth is available to everybody and you just have to coax it, you have to remember it, as no. opposed to, the, yeah, it is a different... No, Jesus is offering her living water. He's not offering yeah. her a, yeah. a, 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 a way to knowing thyself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he knows you. He's the one, I know you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm revealing to you who you are. You don't have to, you don't have to discover that. She already was probably painfully aware of who she was, which is, a, again, a, a powerful, that's a powerful story, you know? Yeah. So as we kind of review the idea of Jesus as prophet, we, you know, we do see the sense of, um, I, I think you know, what you talked about earlier is really interesting too, because I think we don't often talk about the prophetic role in the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
and that whole that whole discourse in John. Now, you know, when we talk about priest, um, maybe the closest Jesus comes really to be actual priest is in yeah. John seventeen. You know, because we talk about priest means he's you know he's both priest and sacrifice, that, right? But I, I think this idea again is particularly in the Johannine Christianity or Johannine the Johannine literature. You know, the the chief benefit of Jesus is not the emphasis on the resurrection. But on the giving of the of the spirit of the spirit of God Himself, yeah. yeah, yeah. And what's interesting too is that you know in the Old Testament the spirit comes and goes with everybody. Right. In fact, you could look at it like you know the there's a really interesting book on original sin by Henri Blochet, a French theologian. It's a very nice book. It's an intervarsity series in biblical theology. But he says that he understands total depravity is the function of total dep- of deprivation. Right. So basically. It's good Augustinian idea. Yeah, so like basically as, you know, in Ezekiel when, you know, the Shekinah leaves the temple, it's like God saying, hey, look, I'm going to leave before either of us does or says anything we regret here. <laughs> like, you know, like, but that, but yeah, there's a good. parallel to that in Eden, right? Where right. where there's this kind of withdrawal of the spirit of God's presence in a way that the, with, the, the deprivation of the spirit leads to the to human wilderness wandering. And when the spirit comes on people, it comes and goes, but it comes on Jesus and sta- and stays. Right, right. And then and there's this bestow of that, you know. So this is the whole prophetic with the right. spirit. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think that the idea that Jesus, particularly in John's gospel, we don't have to wait to Pentecost to get the spirit. I mean, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, breathes upon the disciples and is given to them, and. Both the longing of the fulfillment of the covenant in Hebrew scriptures of God dwelling within them and the powerful promise of Joel, which, you know, Peter refers to in Acts chapter 2. But this idea that— The promise was, of Joel, Sting? No. That if I pray, I get a parking space? No, the prophet— Oh, the other Joel. The other prophet Joel. of Joel. I bet, you, I bet you Joel, the prophet Joel had neither— Osteen's money, nor teeth, nor... I'm sure he denied it, yeah, 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 because yeah. The, the locusts took it all. Yeah. <laughs> Damn locusts. Them locusts, those big locusts. They were big locusts, but... By the way, do you know, and aside, I was listening to the podcast in Visibility, they had this story about the these couple who put all their money into beekeeping, and these Russian mob, like, stole their bee. They're stealing bees. They have all these like, Russian mobs that are, like, stealing bee, bee things, and, California is very. Yeah, so they're not stealing locusts, but they are stealing bees. I mean, yeah, so they want to corner the pollen market. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Anyway, um, so this this idea of you know in the last days they would be a they would be a people they would be a a kingdom of prophets and priests and that Jesus initiates that and that um, that he not only is full of the Spirit but he's a Spirit giver. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I think the thing that I think of, I think I wrote something like this about this for the Mockingbird website last year, maybe. But basically, what I I see like the heart of the teaching and the prophecy of the revelation of Jesus is something I see in this Frank Lake quote that I love that I, I read from time to time. Lake says that the natural man in us tends to reject the paradox that mental pain and spiritual joy can exist in us together in us without diminishing either the agony of the one or the glory of the other. The whole personality may be afflicted by a sense of weakness, emptiness, and pointlessness without diminishing in the least our spiritual power and effectiveness. This is possible because Christ, uh, this is possible because Christ is alive to reenact the mystery of his suffering and glory in us. So far as our own subjective feelings are concerned, 
any inward directed questioning of our basic human state may produce the same dismal answer as before. The cupboard is bare. While we regard our humanity as a container, which ought to have something good in it when we look inside, we miss the whole point of the paradox. We're not meant to be self-contained, but channels of the life and energies of God himself. From this point of view, our wisdom is to let the bottom be knocked out of our humanity, which will ruin it as a container at the same time as it turns it into a satisfactory channel. Yeah, that's a powerful image, and I think it's, it really does apply to profit. I remember back in the charismatic days, I was was uh, in the late, probably early 80s, someone came up to me from one of the, a neo-Pentecostal church and, and said, I'm a prophet. I go, oh, you don't want that. <laughs> and he looked at me. And I said, because look what happens to prophets. Right, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, the, yeah. to be a true, I mean, the process by which you become that vessel whether we're talking, you know, Amos, you know, you know, Amos tries to deny it. All. I mean, you just go through Elijah, Amos, um, um, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, the preacher of the second, you know, Deutero Isaiah probably very well could have been killed for his giving his message. It seems to Isaiah 53 may point to that. So, and John the Baptist and our Lord and Savior, the prophet Jesus, um, the cost of being the vessel of God is the loss of everything so that the truth may be everything. And that truth, right, is, though, I mean, the, it's funny because I think the, 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 in some ways, like Luther's idea about the theology of the cross versus theology of glory, I think is something like at the heart of Jesus, the, the, his insistence that when you're trying to save your life, that's the glory story, and, and you lose it. Yeah. But when you lose your life, when you let the bottom get knocked out, yeah. you gain it. And so this is where, you know, I think of like Brene Brown, who's, who's again, is still increasingly popular. But when she says about shame, you know, shame, everybody, no one wants to talk about it. Right. But the problem is the less you talk about it, the, the more, more of it you have. Yeah. And there's, so this is sort of the prophet Jesus saying, like, you can open yourself up mm-hmm. and lean into the finitude. And that's where you find the infinite source of of healing, wholeness, and love in the, in leaning to the finitude, not in fighting. Yeah, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Amen to that. Amen. And have a great Friday. Weekend. Have a great weekend. Friends. Shabbat shalom. Wild as fire.